Good morning. What a joy it is to be with you this morning. I always look forward uh, to when it is my uh, time to preach. Um, it was an especially busy day this day. I got a little bit of all of it. So a baptism, communion, oh yeah, and preach. And, uh, and so it is, uh, is a great joy to, to be able to perform all of those functions of, of, of a pastor on this uh, a special day in the life of the church. Um, I have a couple of comments that I want to uh, say before we get to the reading of the Word. The last time that I preached was the Sunday after the events of, uh, of Charlottesville, Virginia, that led to the death of Heather Heyer and the injuries of many others. And um, I chose not to address it that morning because it had occurred late that Saturday, and frankly, I was still preparing my sermon, so I had enough of uh, what was going on in my head uh, to be able to, uh, to, to debark, I guess, or disembark and, and, and address that. And so I deferred to Pastor Shane, and I, and I realized you folks... We all want to hear from our pastors in the events uh, um, or in the wake of such events. And so here we are yet again. I don't know if it's just the timing, uh, my luck, that there was another um, tragedy in our country on the the week of uh, my time to preach. Um, As you know, there have been two massacres since uh, the events of Charlottesville. And so this, I would say, is safe to say, this is becoming a pattern to life in the United States, just as it is around the world. Death and destruction are being dispensed with ease using a variety of weapons. And some of you have expressed uh, your concerns this week through email and phone calls and conversations uh, in the halls. Because this particular shooting occurred on, in such a sacred space, a church. But we know this has happened before and this is not the first time. So, so whether a church or a mall or a club or an outdoor venue or a theater, I think that at this point it would seem disingenuous to feign shock or appall over such occurrences. Brothers and sisters, we are reaping what has been sown for decades in our country. Violence in our church or in our culture has been escalating for as long as I have been an adult. To strike out full of hate and anger is now for some a conditioned response. And we see it played out in every form of media known to man. Hateful words and language is on display in the public domain and in magazines, in newspapers, and in blogs, and and privately in emails and texts. And we see fights break out in sporting events and even on Black Friday at the mall and, and mostly without any kind of a response. The destruction of property, Shootings, rammings, bombings. This is how Americans now respond to those with whom they disagree or they choose to dislike. While we are saddened once again by the events of the week, to simply extend our thoughts and prayers seems hollow. As Christians, we're called to speak out about how to live in this world in nonviolent ways. We must call 
for a change where it change where it is needed to soften violent content, improve mental health, mental health care, and examine weapons laws to find ways to be more protective of our people and of our children. Followers of Jesus Christ and the church have a role to pay in stemming the tide of violence in our country. We must be careful not to throw up our hands and accept these actions as the new norm. Let us answer the call to action to be the people of God. It is a matter of stewardship, believe it or not. Which may seem like a clunky transition with such a heavy subject, but it's where we're going today. And and God calls us to be accountable for all that He has entrusted to us. And so I invite you to stand as you are able for the reading of the gospel lesson for today. It comes to us from um, Matthew's gospel, chapter 25. Um, I will begin reading with verse uh, 14. For it... The kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, is as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one. To each according to his ability. Then he went away. The one who had received the five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had the two talents made two more talents, but the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. Then the one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents and saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents. See, I have made five more talents." His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one with the two talents also came forward, saying, Master, you handed over to me two talents. See, I have made two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Then the one who had received the one talent also came forward, saying, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you you have what is yours. But his master replied, You wicked and lazy slave, you know, did you, that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and on my return I would have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one with the ten talents. For to all of those who have, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. As for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of the teeth. 
Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. And I just realized we've probably just read the longest text we've had all year. So I'm up against uh, pretty tough uh, operating conditions here. Well done. Well done. Those words that we long to hear. From the time that we are old enough to complete a task, we seek the approval of someone whose opinion matters to us. Think about it. Have you not celebrated even the most natural occurrences in your children's lives? When they are infants, they roll over and we applaud. They crawl, they stand up, they walk, and we celebrate. They eat solid food and finally poop on the potty and we practically have a party. (laughs) This is what we do for the ones that we love. We celebrate birthdays and good grades and making the team and getting into the, the college that they desire, reaching their goals. And we often pronounce, good job, great job. I like how you did that. My grandchildren, and of course Jill's too, because we share them, they love to do crafts. And they spend a lot of time at our house, as I'm sure that yours do if they live locally. And, and they paint, and they color, and they draw, and they staple, and they tape. We are forever going through a tons of tape. And, and, then they, and then they bring it, and they offer it up to us. Look what I did. And sometimes they'll, they'll wrap it up for even a better surprise or a bigger reaction. And of course we go, oh, I love it. It's beautiful. I like how you did that. And we celebrate it. Great job, we will say to them. And, and this is what's going on in the parable that we just read. The master pronounced his approval over two of the three servants. But before they came to that moment where they heard those words that they longed for, there was a little bit of a show and tell going on. According to Jesus' parable, the master was going away for an extended period of time. And he had entrusted his, servant, his wealth to the servants. And upon his return, he wished to check in and and see how they were performing, to see how they were doing. This is the story that Jesus offered up to his disciples as an example of the kingdom of heaven. For the kingdom of heaven is as if, he would say, and then he continues on to tell the story. What we hear is that followers of Jesus will someday stand before the Master and give an accounting of what they have done with wealth entrusted to them in His absence. Matthew places this text in the middle of four um, parables that each speak to watchfulness, to preparation to faithfulness in Jesus' absence, and ultimately, accountability, judgment, as we have so often heard. This is one of those stories that we like to manipulate. 
bending it and shaping it so that it lands a little softer to our ears. It doesn't take long before we will hear in the context of this story, oh, talents are our spiritual gifts or, or those, those natural skills and abilities that we have to do the work that God's called us to do. We so quickly move past the idea that it is money. Why is it that we do that with not only this passage but so many other passages where Jesus is clearly speaking about money and wealth and we work so hard to spiritualize them to make them more palatable to us. Our reactions to sermons about money and conversations about money expose the power that money has. The fact that we cringe or we tighten up or we go home or we turn away Um, That is very revealing. When Jesus used the word talents in first century Palestine, his hearers would have known exactly what he was talking about. A talent was a measure of wealth. It was a value of money. And one talent was the equivalent of 15 years wages. And so each of the servants were in charge of a considerable amount of money. The five talents given to the first servant was an absurd amount of money, but not for the one who gave it. The one whose wealth is unlimited, who owns it all. The Crown Financial Study that we used to do here on this campus for a number of years um, uses Scripture to teach that the Lord owns everything. All of our wealth, all of our possessions, all belong to Him. The writers use First Chronicles 29, which says, Everything in the heavens is yours, O Lord, and this is your kingdom. Riches and honor come from you alone. And even the psalmist writes in chapter 24, the, Lord, the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. It is the Lord." who dispenses wealth. And so recognizing God's ownership of all that we have and all that we have been entrusted to as managers is crucial in allowing Jesus to become the Lord of our lives, especially knowing we have such strong emotions connected to money. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Shane preached the annual money sermon, as you guys like to call it, because we hear from you. And we found two things about those sermons. Is some of you do not want to hear it. And some of you insist on it. And so that's where we stand is in between this tension between those of you who know that if we don't recognize and understand that there's responsibility that comes with having wealth, blessings, and those who want to turn a deaf ear to it. You see, it's easy for us to go through life thinking that our success and our possessions all are the result of our hard work and our, um, our brilliance and, and the way that we do our jobs. That is the message of the culture. And we hear it a lot. And, and, and we believe it. And the message also continues that we are to manage that wealth for our own benefit for later on. That wonderful picture of us laying on the beach with nothing to do. And that is not biblical. It's just not. But we buy into it. 
So for the believer, we, um, when we come to the understanding of God's ownership of everything and all that we have has only been temporarily entrusted to us, his managers, the question becomes not how much of God's money are we going to give back to God, but how much of God's money and wealth are we going to keep for ourselves and use for our own purposes how we handle money and all the other things of value that God has put under our care speaks volumes about our relationship with God. And so it is from this point of view, as a manager of God's wealth, um, that uh, reaches beyond money to include our possessions and our family and our other personal relationships and even our time. The simple yet profound blessing of our time on this earth. Because you know, our days are limited. Life is a gift in itself, as we are reminded from this week's events. It only happens, it happens in an instant. Our life is, has ended here. And then the question begins, now what? We are to be about God's business using all that God has put in our care in a way that honors God. That's what we are to be about. Now I know that this message has no purpose for the non-believer or the unbeliever. Some time ago, I met a young couple who lived out this responsibility in real ways. They had not been married for long. They were able to purchase a small starter home. It was a very modest home. And yet they received it as a blessing from God. And, and so they worked hard to try and figure out ways that they could use their home to honor God. And they, and they would open up their home to their neighbors. And they would have meals. And, and they would talk about their faith. And they would have Bible studies. And, and, they, would, uh, and they would have prayer time. And they looked at that one material possession that they had as one of God's greatest gifts to them. And they constantly wanted to honor God by using it in godly ways. There was a season when I first started my business and became self-employed where I seemed to have extra time. And the truth is I had more time than I had customers, so there wasn't a whole lot to do. And, and I was going through this study, and I recognized that, you know, my, va- my, my vehicle could be one of those blessings that God has put in my charge. And so I, uh, I began serving or delivering meals for friendship trays at a time when I had, uh, I had extra time on my hands. So once a week, I would go downtown, and I would deliver meals for about an hour or so. And I saw it as an extension of my faithfulness uh, and my stewardship to God who blessed me with a car. It seemed something so simple. But I can tell you that the blessing that I received for those years that I did that faithfully was greater than anything I could possibly have brought to one of those to whom I was delivering a meal. The people that we live in relationship with are one of the most valuable things that God puts in our care. Our family, and, and, and I realize that not all families have had a close, uh, healthy relationship. And, and sometimes it's better that we leave those relationships. But we've also learned that 
families are not necessarily biological. And so, and so I would ask you to think about those people in your lives that seem like brother or sister or father or mother or grandparent that have inspired you and encouraged you and celebrated with the words, good job. You may have noticed that we as pastors often settle into a particular phrase that we like. It's sort of our mantra, and we say it at every chance that we get. And the fact is, we don't really even realize that we're doing it, but it's the one message we we seem to think that is the most valuable at a particular place at a particular time. And, um, And there was a time when one of the pastors here would remind us regularly that we have... 168 hours in a week. And I see some of you nodding. It's still there. He would say almost weekly you have 168 hours in a week. And those who do amazing things and those who do nothing share this in common. And it would almost always follow with the question, what are you going to do with yours? Time. Time is money, we have heard it said. And when we, live, when we learn to live knowing that our days are numbered, time becomes even more valuable. Psalm 90 says, Teach us to number our days, O Lord, that we may gain a heart of wisdom, that we may make better decisions with that in mind, to handle it with utmost care and, and dispensing it where it does the most good. All of these, money, material possessions, people, relationships, time, are forms of wealth given by God to be entrusted to us for a time. We are to be about the master's business. And according to the spiritual truth revealed in the text, the time is coming when we will be held accountable when we will give an accounting this particular text said settle accounts other uh, bibles use the word um, um, reckoning and of course you've heard that the phrase the day of reckoning doesn't really feel good because there's some negative connotations there that we've been programmed to react to in fact the fear of judgment has been used for centuries to scare folks into conversion. That, I don't believe, reflects the heart of God. Let me point out the one negative result in the parable, the third servant, the one who was cast into darkness, the one who chose not to do anything with that which he was entrusted with. And I would contend that fear is a terrible motivator. God does not want us to behave a certain way out of fear of retribution. Children crying, watch me, watch me, or or, look what I did, look what I made. They have no fear of showing their work to the one who loves them. They can trust the response of the parent or the grandparent will be gentle and loving and affirming. Of course, their work is not Picasso-like, but it's refrigerator-worthy. 
And we do that. And we put it up there and it stays up there until they do something else. And then we take it down and put up another one. This is the cycle of the loved and the lover. I think the judge considers the ability of the servant. The effort and not just the result. The faithful have nothing to fear but look forward expectantly to offer up the work of their lives to the one who created them and generously entrusted them with something of value. Since becoming a pastor, I have been to a lot of funerals. I've preached a few, but I've been to even more. And in preparation of a funeral, we typically spend time with the family and we listen to stories of the deceased. What was important to them? Where did they give their time? How were they a blessing to others around them? It helps us to be able to speak on their behalf. Pastor Shane and I recently attended a memorial service of Jerry Neal, who was one of our uh, members here just a couple of weeks ago. And we talked about this for some time after the service because we were both blessed by the testimony given on Jerry's behalf. Jerry was characterized as a man of deep and abiding faith in Jesus. He felt he had been very blessed by the Lord and he was known for his generosity throughout his life. He was quoted as saying how he believed it was important to be a pipeline rather than a reservoir. God's blessings flow through him into the lives of others. Jerry was always concerned about helping those in needs and invited other people to join him in meeting those needs. This is a man who would not fear this day of reckoning or settlement. And he surely heard those words, well done. The reward of the faithful is to enter into the joy of the master. I'm currently reading a book entitled Living Life Backward by Dave Gibson where he offers up the premise using the book of Ecclesiastes that we should live life with the end in mind. And you've probably heard of this technique when you are trying to get some sort of grasp on where your life is going is what do you want people to say at the end of your life? When they gather in your honor, what are the words that you'd like to be spoken? And then to live life forward towards that, with that destination in mind. This is a good thing. It gives our present actions meaning and our decisions weight and value toward that purpose. I used to hate it when I would go to high school science and I had this one teacher who would welcome us to the classroom by saying, take out one sheet of paper and one pencil and put everything else away. Ah, a pop quiz. I hated it. Science was not my thing and I was always ill-prepared and I didn't know, I knew that it wasn't going to go well. But that's not what this is like at all. We have the value of knowing that someday there will be an accounting. It will not be a surprise. But it is nothing to be feared either. It should shape and form how we live our lives. This, this judgment, this settlement, this accounting or reckoning, however you want to say it, 
is not to be feared by the faithful, those who are ready to show off their work. Thanks be to God. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Follow us on Facebook for up-to-date information about news, events, and ways to get involved at Harrison Church. You can also visit us online at harrisonchurch.org.